If you could have dinner with one historical figure, who would you choose and why? Uh, I was kind of curious of who would, who would say what, so I Googled that question, and, and here's some of the responses that I got from an article. Uh, one person said, Rosa Parks, I would like to know her thoughts on courage. One said, Bill Gates, I would like to pick his mind, or there is that cute girl in history class. One said, my great-grandfather, he served in World War II, and I would love just to simply to meet him. And someone wrote, Jesus. I would want to know who and what is up with that guy, and I would assume it would be an interesting conversation. What do you think it would be like to have dinner with Jesus? Interesting, of course. Informative, Yes. Uncomfortable? At least here in this passage, uh, we have all those. Uh, In particular, very uncomfortable uh, for one person. And so this morning, I want us to see three things in this passage. I want us to see that this passage changes the way we view people. Second, this passage changes the way we view Jesus. And lastly, this passage will change the way We think Jesus views us. So first, this passage changes the way we view people. Have you ever been to an awkward dinner party? Here we're in the midst of one. This Pharisee, Simon, has introduced, invited Jesus to come and eat and to wine and dine at his house. And to give you a little bit of context about what's going on in this passage, back in the first century, they didn't have Netflix Uh, They didn't have podcasts. They didn't have things to just pass the time. Uh, And so what the the Pharisees would do, the the upper part of society, what they would do is that they would throw dinner parties. Uh, They would try to get that the cool speaker, the cool rabbi, the cool traveling speaker and to come and to sit and to wine and dine them and to have a conversation about the things that matter, the things that they were talking about. And here, that's exactly what Simon is doing. Simon is inviting in. Jesus, who is the talk of the town, who is the talk of the region, to come and say, to, to pick his brain about all things. Maybe the very kingdom of God, or how to, to finally figure out what heaven would be like. Or, um, and what Simon would do is that he would throw this party, because he can afford it, um, and he would invite the town, as it were. And you, can, you see that in that passage. You see it that uh, the, the people were against the walls, uh, is the imagery, is... And, and, and kind of listening into the conversation that's around the dinner, tar- dinner table. And this is how they entertain. This is how they uh, pass the time, as it were. And here we have Simon this Pharisee uh, who invites Jesus to come over. Uh, and the whole town literally shows up. We're not sure what Simon's intentions were. Maybe he wanted to have a serious conversation. Maybe he just wanted to be the talk of the town. Maybe he wanted to get that, that cool Instagram post to get all those likes uh, that he's, he threw the coolest party uh, in town. And the first thing that we see as we enter into this passage is that it changes the way we view people. And this point, how we view people, has been the dominant narrative for the last couple of months. Uh, since March 15th, since the last time I preached here. 
in the news, in our conversations, and even in our hearts. For the, for the past couple of months, we have been socially distant because we view everyone as a potential risk because of a virus. We've been socially distanced from some people due to the very color of their own skin, for their economic breakdown, for what they do or what they do not do. And because of sin and misery in our hearts, the concept of being socially distanced has been around since the very beginning. Since Adam and Eve listened to the voice of the serpent and they took that bite of that fruit, they've been hiding and been socially distanced ever since. And the reality is that we hide. And we are often socially distanced just because that we are fearful of what we might bring to the table. But we're also fearful of what others might bring to the table as well. We're not like them. And we don't want them around us. And because of that, we view people with a certain posture. And here in this passage, we have someone who's socially distanced because he thinks he's better than everyone else religiously. Um, again, let me ask you a question. What does your typical Christian look like? Uh, Luke gives us a, uh, this person named Simon. He was a Pharisee. Uh, Pharisees were those ones, as you uh, maybe uh, see as you read throughout the Gospels. They gave the best detailed prayers. Uh, They were the teachers of the law. They were the preachers of their day. They were educated and learned and well off. But Luke also gives us another person. Uh, This person has no name, no family history. All we know about this woman is that she's a sinner. Probably not educated. Clearly does not have social skills. By coming in to this dinner party that she probably wasn't invited to. Putting her hair down. uh, And doing all those things. That were probably awkward in the day. And Luke is putting these two people right in front of us. And it seems everything is totally different about them. Everything is different. Their gender, their class, what they do, what they do not do. But it seems that they both have one thing in common. They both have a debt that they cannot pay. And here Simon has this conversation with himself. Again, if you read this passage before it, Polly gives you a little chuckle that there he's uh, talking to himself and and Jesus asks him a question um, and and he responds and Jesus tells him a story, tells him a parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of them both. And then Jesus asked Simon a question in verse 42. Who would love him more? And the one with the larger debt. And Luke has drawn drawn the scene to show us that everything's different about these two people, but one thing, that they both need a savior. They both have a debt that they cannot pay. They both need a rescuer. So again, who is your modeled Christian? Does it look more like Simon or does it look like this woman? And for many of us, we would draw someone who looked like Simon on our bulletin this morning than this woman. And what's the great difference between these two? This woman knew she was a sinner. She needed a redeemer. She needed one to come 
and forgive her of everything that she has done. And the question for you and for me this morning is this. Do you know, do I know that I am a sinner in need of a Savior? Or is the sin problem always out there and never in here? The reality is this, is that we need the gospel. We need the gospel as much as the people out there does. We need to to preach it to ourselves. That's why we come here each and every Sunday. This is why we have the Lord's Supper. This is why we have the songs that we sing and the word that we read. Is that we need to be reminded that we have a Savior, a Redeemer, and a friend. In college, one of the a book that radically changed my life was a book called The Discipline of Grace by Jerry Bridges. And he reminded me there, I was a, a, young, a young lad, a young man, uh, working at a little PCA church doing youth ministry, going to a, a Christian college. And in that time of my life, it was all about the gospel. I need to get it out there, out there, out there. And until that point, as I was reading this book, I was reminded I need the gospel in here. Uh, he He was the one that kind of came up with the phrase that we need to be preaching the gospel to ourselves. And he writes in his book this way, Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. We need to be people who understand that we need the gospel. That we need the very love of Jesus For us to, to live in this world and to, to continue uh, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and even in our city, uh, we need to realize that the problem is in here, not so much out there. Uh, we need to relate knowing that we are all great sinners in need of a great Savior. Uh, and so first, we see that this passage changes the way it views people. Second, the passage changes the way we view Jesus. Uh, here in this passage, we have two perspectives. We have a religious perspective and a gospel perspective. Again, look at verse 39. Uh, look into Simon's picture of, of Jesus. Jesus comes onto the scene, and this woman comes, and very quickly, Simon gets bitter, angry. Uh, you almost get the impression that that Simon is more shocked at Jesus than at this woman's actions. And the reality is this, is that Simon views Jesus as just another great teacher. Here's the guy that everybody's been talking about. Here's the guy that everyone's been listening to. And he viewed Jesus as this one to discuss theology with. Maybe he could come and put him in a little trap that he could show that he might be just a little smarter than this guy named Jesus. And on the other side, we see this woman who viewed Jesus as her redeemer, as her savior, more than a teacher, but her savior and redeemer and friend. And we see this because she puts her whole identity in the very feet of Jesus. She comes giving it all, as it were. And you see this. You see this by her breaking the ointment of jar all over the very feet of Jesus. Uh, We see this by her putting her hair down. We see this by her just crying all over the very feet of Jesus and and drying it with her hair. Uh, 
she has realized that she has been forgiven and everything has changed because of that. And so let me ask you this question this morning. How do you view Jesus? Is he just another great teacher? Or is he truly your savior? Is he truly your redeemer? Are you just with Jesus? Or are you truly worshiping him at his feet because what he has done for you? That he has paid that ultimate price, that he has paid that debt that you could not pay, not even on your best day. And the reality is this, is that we need to make sure that we have the right view of Jesus. That he's more than a teacher, that he, he's more than an example. That he is truly our savior, redeemer, and friend. That he is one who is with us and that he is one that is for us. And we see that she is so overwhelmed by the very love and grace of the Savior that she cries out so much that she is washing the very feet of Jesus. She is so overwhelmed by him being the Savior that that Simon was in love with the doctrine. But here we see a woman who's overwhelmed by his grace and his love. Again, just think about this this actions here. The woman is... All the cues, as it were, in the text leans to the reality that she was a, a prostitute, um, you know, that she was a, a sinner, a, a woman of the town, uh, the jar of ointment that's around her neck. And here we see that she's, she's given it all over. She's given it to Jesus. She is putting it all at the very feet of Jesus because she sees that Jesus is the only true redeemer, savior, and friend. And the reality is this, is that she is still a lover, but she loves Jesus rather than her sin. And even the crowd we see is a little surprised by Jesus in verse 49. Who is this who even forgives sins? Who is this man who lets this woman touch her, but also at the point who says your sins are forgiven? Go in peace. And so again, how do you view Jesus? Who or what kind of savior is this? Is this Jesus just another great teacher for you? Is this a, a guy that we can rally behind to have some sense of community? Uh, that I, I'm not alone every Sunday morning? Uh, who is this Jesus? How do you see Jesus? How do you view him as you read the text? Are you there to just to be intrigued by the doctrine or are you overwhelmed by him being your savior? See, the reality is, do you know that Jesus is that type of Savior that will leave the 99 and go after the one? Do you know that Jesus is that type of Savior that that has written your name on the very palm of his hands? Do you know that Jesus is that type of Savior that embraces the prodigal? He welcomes you at his table, that he throws a party. Do you know that Jesus embraces radical sinners because he is a glorious Savior. Again, how do you view him? Are you just with him? Are you truly in awe of who he is? Because you truly see him as the one who has come to serve and to come and to wine and dine you, to be with you, to have an intimate relationship with you, to, to save you and to redeem you. 
And so this morning we've seen that this passage changes the way we view others. It changes the way we view Jesus. And lastly, this passage changes the way we, we think Jesus views us. And the reality is this, how we think Jesus views us will actually change everything. It changes our perspective on life. It will change how we view others and how others view us. And let me ask you this question. Do you think Jesus loves you because he has to? Or he loves you because he wants to? And again, the reality is how we answer that question will change everything. How we view Jesus, yourself and others. And here, why did this woman, why did this woman come into the scene? I mean, again, it's a, an interesting scene. She, you know, verse 37, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. And she, when she learned that he was reclining at a table. Uh, again, we, we have no name, no sense of who this woman was, but she just heard the rumblings that Jesus was in the town, and she had to get there. Uh, again, she, uh, she busted into this dinner party. She went to the very feet of Jesus, and there there's this midst of just an, an awkward scene, as it were. But here we knew, she knew that she had to be for, forgiven. And she knew that here stands the very redeemer of the world. And she knew that Jesus did more than just enter an awkward dinner party, that Jesus actually entered into life, that he took on flesh, that he humbled himself to to live that life, to die that death and be obedient all the way to death on a cross. She knew that he was a friend of sinners. He was more than a prophet, but he was a savior. Verse 48, she knew she had been forgiven. Um, in the Greek, in the original language, it's in the perfect tense, meaning that there's this past uh, event that has this ongoing, current reality to it. And we need to understand that, that our savior has done that, that he has come to redeem us, that he has come to save us. And it's more than just past history, but it's also ongoing history that our savior comes and he yes he comes to justifies us to declare us right but he also comes to sanctify us to to make us into what he's already declared us to be and he also comes to glorify us to take away all our guilt and our shame and our sorrow and our pain to make us whole again second corinthians five twenty one says god made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the very righteous of God. So she comes amazed. She comes amazed that someone would pay her debt. We see her response and, and she, how much she loves and adores Jesus as her Savior. We, can, we see in her tears, we see this woman who is has been living with intense guilt and shame. Uh, and she here, she comes, she felt pure and washed and cleansed. Her whole life has been that of constant rejection. But here she feel, truly feels accepted 
by God, the very creator of the universe. Her whole life has been formed by the narrative that only people who wanted to hang out with her were those who want to pay for certain services. And here Jesus accepts her, forgives her, and she comes with her tears because she knew that how Jesus has viewed her, that she was worth it, that she was worth it to come and take on flesh, to come and live that life, and to face all the sorrows of humanity, all the sickness, all the hungry, all the awkward dinner parties, and even the cross, to come to bear all those things. And she knew it. She knew that Jesus that she was worth it to Jesus. And so Jesus comes in and enters into her guilt and her shame and says, you are forgiven. And she, and she weeps. And her tears were both of ongoing repentance but also ongoing joy because she realizes maybe for the very first time that she has a friend in Jesus. Uh, consider her hair here. The, uh, back in the first century, the, the woman's hair was that of her glory. Uh, so that's why they would put it kind of tightly up and, and let it down uh, in times of intimacy. Uh, and here she, she loosens it all down. She lets her glory down, as it were, because she knew maybe for the very first time that Jesus was more concerned about her, about her glory, than anything else. Uh, she knew that Jesus left his glory to come to rescue her, to redeem her. Consider her kisses. Again, this act of pure adoration. Here, this woman is perfectly aware of the commitment that Jesus has for her. And it's been interesting as, as I've read and studied this passage and even listened to some sermons that everybody points out that the, the, the shock of the passage always focuses on the woman her coming into this dinner party, for her to, to do those things that she's doing to Jesus. But I think the real shock of the passage is not so much the woman's response, but Jesus' response to the woman. So we need to consider him. And I think you see this in the passage. Simon was more upset about how Jesus was responding, how he was coming to this dinner party than this woman. And so he... He's not put off by this woman's fleshly sins that when she came to him, there's no sense of judgment. There's no sense of a Heisman of, yeah, you can come near, but just stay that far away. Um, Jesus recognized that her actions were real. And, and Jesus comes in and he reinterprets what she is doing, not as loving acts, as loving acts but not erotic acts. Here this woman knows that she does not have to sell herself anymore because she has been bought by a price, that Jesus has paid it all. And Jesus doesn't stop her. And the good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus is happy to link his identity with hers, just as he is happy to link his identity to yours and to mine. Again, I believe the real shock of the, shock of the passage is not the woman's response to Jesus, but Jesus' response to this woman. This might be the, the first moment in her life 
where here's a, a man not taking advantage of her, but honoring her and respecting her. And the scandal of this woman coming to Jesus and putting her hair down and kissing his feet and just putting this perfume all over him is nothing in comparison to the very scandal of the cross. I mean, do you understand that Jesus loves you so much that he did not just enter an awkward dinner party, that he entered into history to live for you and to die for you and to rise again for you, to be the ultimate prophet and prophet, priest and king and your savior and redeemer and friend. He endured the cross so that he can come to you and look into you in your eye and say, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. And he endured the cross. He entered into all of history so he can sit us down at his table. Since Jesus was more than willing to take the very scandal of the cross so that he can just simply have a meal with you and with me. See, things have changed. No longer does Jesus wait for us to invite him to come and eat, but he invites us to come to his table. They, the guest has become the host. The tables have turned. That he has come and invite us to his table. And that's what he's doing this morning. He's, doing, he, he's coming to remind us and to invite us to his table. To taste and see that he is good. To remind us that he has paid the very ultimate price. That his body was broken for us. And that his blood was shed for us. So that we can come and taste and see that the Lord is good. So, they, so he can point us to even a greater meal, a better meal, that, that last meal, the, the wedding feast of the Lamb. Imagine that meal. And so this morning, be reminded of how Jesus truly views us. In the midst of who you are and where you've come from and what you have done, he comes and calls you by name and says, you are mine. And I have a place for you at my table. And so our, our Jesus comes and invites us to come. Come, all who are, are heavy laden and weary, come and I will give you rest. Our Jesus invites us to come here from Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for, for that which is not bread and your labor for which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me and hear that your soul may live. And so since Jesus views us as his people, ones that he truly loves, and since he is the one who invites us in, and he is the one who's paid the ultimate price for us to have this simple meal this morning. So come. Come and eat. Come and rest. Come and know that you have a Savior, a Redeemer, and a friend in Jesus.